0: research is very broad and it's just so important for people from all walks of life, all sorts of backgrounds to participate in it because not only are you possibly getting information to help you, it's also for Mm -hmm. your community, people that are similar to you.
1: And that's one of the things I like about all of us is that they're trying to educate people about what research really is. Sometimes research is just as going back, getting the data.
2: there's a reason blood is often synonymous with family. Your specific blood type and all the other genes that make you you are passed along from generation to generation. I'm Helen Pitlick, and this is Bloodworks 101, the podcast that inspires you to give time, money, or blood, and in this case, explains how your next blood donation can go even further by participating in the All of Us research program. Bloodworks is excited to partner with the All of Us Research Program, a historic effort by the National Institutes of Health to engage 1 million participants from all across the United States in the transformation of precision medicine. The story I have for you today is about two remarkable women, separated by decades, but immortal to those who carry on their legacies, as told by two remarkable women. The lessons their families want us to learn from their lives and why diverse participation in medical research, such as all of us, is vital. I'll let them introduce themselves and tell their stories in their own words. Hey, my
1: name is Victoria Baptiste. I am the great granddaughter of Henrietta Lacks. I am also a registered nurse who works in nephrology as a specialty.
0: I am Ashley Ellis. I am originally from Mobile, Alabama. I now work at Bloodworks Northwest as an assistant medical director. My sister, her name was Sonia. She was 11 years older than me, so she was the baby before I came along. When she became sick, when I was eight, I decided that I wanted to be a doctor so that I could make her better. Even though that is not what happened, I still was able to help her through my medical knowledge. She was diagnosed with end-stage renal disease due to FSGS, focal segmental glomerulosclerosis, which is scarring in the kidney. And you see this a lot in African-Americans. So African-Americans are genetically predisposed to this condition. She had two transplants. One was from my dad, which she rejected, and then one was from an organ donor, which she kept for 13 years. She was a lot of fun, very loving. She was hilarious. She was a great cook. But I think what stands out the most is her strength because she lived for 30 years with end-stage renal disease. She just kept her drive throughout her illness. She had the complication of pancreatitis. She was hospitalized seven times in the last six months. And I did a lot of dialogue with her doctors, you know, saying, hey, this is what I think. Ask, tell me what's going on, but it ultimately came down to she was so malnourished that her liver failed, and she passed away in April. I miss her dearly. She was just a lot of fun.
1: First, I'd like to um, send out uh, my condolences for your loss for your sister, Dr. Ellis. And it is we have a lot of parallels. I work in a dialysis unit uh, with patients with end-stage renal disease, and you know as Uh, people. You know, African-Americans are more predisposed to end-stage renal disease because of the other comorbidities that we are also more um, predisposed to hypertension, diabetes, and, you know, which leads later leads on to end-stage renal disease, which then leads on to dialysis, transplant, which all, you know, ties into Why we would need a blood works because that all still, you know, deals with the blood. But my great-grandmother, Henrietta Lags uh, she grew up on a tobacco farm in Clover, Virginia. Um, She and my great-grandfather came to um, Turner Station, which is in Maryland, from Virginia for work. They then began to raise a family here. My great-grandmother got sick. She felt something was wrong with her. She went to the doctors and then later realized that she discovered herself that she had this lesion on her cervix. Um, She went in to seek care. But in that time, we were were talking in the 1950s. We have very little access to health care, I should say, and health care options, not even just as African-Americans as a country. So in saying that Johns Hopkins was one of the only hospitals that treated people of color and of low socioeconomic backgrounds, that's where she went to seek her help because she didn't really have any other choice. The care that she received once she was there Um, I believe a lot of that was both racially fueled and socially, economically fueled because of the lack of options she was given, the amount of education she was given about her diagnosis at that time. And the lack of consent that was received, you know, they say that there wasn't any malicious intent um, and that that was common practice in that day that they didn't really give informed consent and things of that
2: nature. Today. Informed consent is a critical legal and ethical component of research studies and clinical trials. It lets participants know exactly what they're signing up for and how their data will be used. Once they
1: took her cells, it was found out that her cells are the first ones to be able to live outside the human body. It made it possible for us to have vaccinations, things like in vitro fertilization. That just kind of um, is a little part of The impact that she made, she's still making impacts today with helping with vaccinations for COVID-19, cancer research um, every day. Henrietta cells are out here helping us to live and fight the, the greater fight.
2: Henrietta Lacks died of cervical cancer on October 4th, 1951, at just 31 years old. But cells from this biopsy, used for research without her or her family's consent, have continued to divide and grow over the past 70 years. Hela cells, a name taken after the first syllables of Henrietta's name, have been used in thousands upon thousands of medical studies to this day and have contributed to countless medical breakthroughs, as well as profits for the companies leading these efforts, profits that the Lacks family has never received or benefited from.
1: Who she was as a person, I can only tell you from loving stories that I've heard from my grandfather, who is her eldest son, um, Lawrence Lacks. It's still painful for him to discuss, um, but what he has um, imparted in us is that she was a very loving, giving, feisty woman. She liked to look nice, but she also liked to be nice by treating people, you know, how she would want to be treated, giving people, you know, the last that she had because they were not wealthy people. But she helped other men or other families that were migrating from Virginia, coming up to Maryland for work, she helped provide them with a, you know, a place to stay, even though she didn't have much space, you know, she can make them a little cot on the floor and they would have some somewhere to stay until they got on their feet. She made sure that they had lunches when they left for work, just like she prepared for her husband. She would help out to those other single, you know, men or those other um, husbands that weren't able to bring their families up yet to help give them that support to transition to bring their families up here with them. I feel like she's spiritually and even probably genetically embedded that in my family because we are naturally nurturing, loving, giving people. You know, sometimes it can be in spite of ourselves, but I feel like that's something that we take away from um, the legacy of my great-grandmother.
0: I think it's interesting that you mentioned the lack of information that she was given. At that time, I still see that. Today, with my sister, we never actually got her formal diagnosis. I figured it out from my studies in medical school and her presentation and what she was told by a doctor. She was told she had scarring in her kidney. And I put, you know, two and two together. We weren't told that she had FSGS. So I see that as an issue that still continues the communication with patients about what's going on with them.
1: That's definitely something that um, I still do see a lot of. Especially in the community in which I serve. Um, I work in the inner city of Baltimore, Maryland. So I'm working within the community of people that I try to advocate for um, the people that are with less socioeconomic backgrounds, who tend to be in a less education. Um, standpoint, but also with less access or less knowledge of access, I should say, because the access is typically there. It's just that the patients aren't getting the amount of information that they need to know where to go to get the resources that are out there for them because i also work in the hospital systems doing dialysis for more acute patients and which means it's usually patients that didn't even know that they had kidney issues and come in with newly diagnosed as in stage renal disease because their kidneys were failing all this time and they didn't recognize the signs and a lot of times those patients come to the clinic and they still are uninformed they just know that they were supposed to come to dialysis to get their blood cleaned three times a week so that they can survive, but they still don't really impart with them the impact that that's going to have on their lives, what those diagnoses mean, what led up to that diagnosis and why it's important for the changes that you're going to have to make now that this is your reality. And a lot of patients just get overwhelmed and they kind of give up on themselves when they get those diagnoses because of that lack of information. All they hear is a death notice. So yes, unfortunately, that's one of the things that have not changed over the years is the lack of information or the time for the medical providers to give for those patients to ask the question so they can be better informed because it's always a, a double, triple book situation. I don't have enough time to answer those questions type of a thing. Right.
0: I don't think it's malicious, but I do think that it's not completely fulfilling your duty as a physician. You need to have informed patients because they are partners in their healthcare. I mean, it's their health and they need to know what's going on. And I think it's our responsibility to let them know and their families, you know, sometimes they're so sick, they might not be able to follow what's going on. So that's something that I think is important for physicians and nurses to do to make sure that the patients have a grasp of what's going on with them which unfortunately is not where I would like it to be.
1: Absolutely. I totally agree because that, that's how this has impacted my family, that lack of transparency, that lack of information given, because from what I'm told, my, grand, my great-grandmother still wanted to have children. And she did not realize that the treatment that they were giving her, which was them to sew live radium into her cervix, would make her sterile. She had hopes to still have children, and it was said that if she had known that she would become sterile, she would not have accepted the treatment. You know, knowing that that lack of information still was going on with my great grandmother, um, that had a, that has a great impact, I think, for the generations that come after, with how they view their health equity, whether or not they should be trusting of the system. They're going to do what they want to do, and I'm not going to really know what's going on with myself to be able to help myself. So for those older generations, that's still a big barrier for them because of um, that lack of trust, because of the lack of information and the lack of transparency Mm -hmm. that they've always been afforded. Yes. And I
0: think it's just so important if someone has questions to ask them, and I have seen in my own life, doctors skirt around the question that you ask, it can be a very direct question and you don't get an answer. So you have to be persistent. It's their job to give you the information. Even with my sister, I was pushing to, you know, escalate her care. And I had to request for a doctor to come talk to me and say, hey, tell me exactly what is going on. What do you see? I mean, I could see things, but they were her physicians. You know, I was trying to get her transferred to another hospital. And then, you know, I realized it was too late to do anything. And she passed away three days later. And I was thinking I really would have like to have known this, you know, so I would have maybe changed some decision making. So it's just important to get all the information you can from the physicians and don't Mm -hmm. let them off the hook. I hate to say that as a physician, but as a patient and a family member, people are entitled to information about their health.
1: Absolutely. I totally agree. Um, And as a nurse, I feel like a lot of times I'm taking the brunt of that because the patients have all these questions their physician did not answer for them. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be another one of those people that brushes them aside right. you know, and say, I don't have the time. I make the time. And if I'm running right. late for something else later, then so, so be it. You know, but right now, this is the focus. I need to make sure that this patient understands and they feel comfortable enough to want to come back and receive that care because right. it's one thing for them to know what the care that is available to them, but do they trust the provider to give it to them? And I think that's another reason why it's important for us to have more diversity in the medical research because all of the care that we have provided for these things, the African-American people are more susceptible of you look at the clinical research for those. And we sometimes are not represented at all. Like there's none, or it'll be this random 1%, which means it was one person that was in that clinical research. But if it's, something dealing with hypertension or dealing with prostate cancers and dealing with you know things that are geared towards us, we need to be more involved in those research studies so that they can gear care that's more specific to us and how our bodies accept and receive those treatments. Because just because it's supposed to be effective, we, we have other things that predispose us to certain things. And also, cause a block or a hindrance for us to you know get the same quality of care from that same treatment option as other people do because of our genetic makeup yes um, as African American people.
0: Yes that's why it's so important for research to be representative of the entire population with a background in laboratory medicine with lab values they test people whatever population they get they order the values lowest to highest, and they take the middle 95%, and that's considered your reference interval, what's normal. But it's only what's normal for the population that is tested. So that's why you need to have a diverse population. For example, creatinines. And people of African ancestry, they run higher because creatinine is a byproduct of breakdown of protein, i.e. muscle which people of African ancestry tend to be more muscular and their creatines tend to run higher. So that's just an example of why it's important to have people of all backgrounds involved in research so that we can be more able to provide care for them, to give good pro- prognoses for them. Um, and even like genetic research, seeing how they respond to care, because some people, because of their genetics, might not respond to certain medications exactly. or they might respond a little bit too well.
2: All of Us is a national effort that aims to build the largest, most diverse database of health information of its kind that researchers can use to study health and illness. We want to support researchers in efforts to understand how different genetic, lifestyle, and environmental factors impact health and disease. With this information, researchers can look to improve the ways to diagnose, prevent, and treat health conditions. In most research studies, Participants give their data or samples and have no say in what happens next. But with all of us, participants shape the program with their input and get information back about themselves.
1: Everybody thinks when they hear research is a Dr. Kevorkian type of a thing. But sometimes research is just us going back, getting the data from some of those specimens, like you were saying, for different treatments. Like, why did this patient react so greatly to that? But another patient with the same signs and symptoms, predispositions, is not reacting at all to this same mm-hmm. treatment. We need that type of a database. And that's one of the things I like about all of us is that they're trying to educate people about what research really is. What does it mean to be a part of a medical research? And no, it's not always us taking a specimen from you physically. Sometimes it's just us doing surveys, asking mm-hmm. you know certain questions, doing a census as a type of research because we're trying to see in what communities are most served by a certain demographic of people. So, I mean, there's a lot of different ways that we do research and all of Mm -hmm. us is trying to impact by explaining, giving you that information and also asking you to be a part of, but with you having the transparency and the information about why um, research is good and why we need you in it.
0: Right. Research is not, people, when they think of it, they think of being lab rats or being experimented on. No, research Mm -hmm. essentially is gathering data, that there are many ways to do it. And not all of it is like giving you something and see how you react, like looking at your lifestyle, your environment, how that affects your your family structure, how do all of these come together to affect the person and their risk for disease, their response to disease, or their health? I joined a research study last year for renal research and found out that I have two high risk mutants. Both of them put me at high risk for end-stage renal disease. And it was just like, oh my goodness, I'm seeing this in action and this is actually a part of my life. And with me having two copies, my sister most likely had two copies too. So I was able Mm -hmm. to tell her, hey, it's not anything you did. It's just our right. genes. So research is very broad and it's just so important for people from all walks of life, all sorts of backgrounds mm-hmm. to participate in it because not only are you possibly getting information to help you, it's also for mm-hmm. your community, people that are similar to you, be it genetically, seeing trends of different the demographics.
1: populations. Yeah. And I think that's important to people to understand that too. We need, a, we need people from the underserved communities in research as well because then that'll give us a different Outlook because of that whole like nature versus nurture type right. of thing. Does this person living in this community eating this type of diet, you know, are they able to get the same impact of this treatment as a person that lives in a suburban area that eats an all organic, you know, diet mm-hmm. and things like that? So, all of those things. Are important and people don't realize that how much of an impact they can make. They're like, oh, it's just me. I, you know, how am I going to make a difference in research? They don't, you know, need me anyway. They got plenty of people. No, we need you because we have a lack of but diversity in it. And when it
0: comes down to it, every person is different. So there is something that Mm -hmm. everyone can add to research. I think All of Us is a great program, and I am actually signing up for it because um, I think with me being African-American, that that I have something to add, especially, you know, with my genes. I know I have these high-risk mutants for renal disease. I'm like, I'm wondering what else is in there, and not so much for my um, benefit, but just to get my information out there and add to the database of people that are involved so that the information that we have is more representative of the population of the united states because it's an nih-funded study and uh, the name is so appropriate it takes everybody
1: even if you don't become a part of the research at least go out there and ask the questions to learn more about what research entails
2: thanks again to dr ashley ellis and victoria baptiste for sharing their family stories experiences and learnings from their healthcare careers. It was an honor to talk with you about Henrietta and Sonia. October 4th marks the 70th anniversary of Henrietta Lacks's passing. The Lacks family invites you to learn more and keep this conversation going at hela100.org. That's H E L A 100.org. All of us seeks to partner with many different groups across the country, especially those that have been left out of research in the past. Enrollment is open to all eligible adults age 18 or older who live in the United States, and you have the opportunity to contribute at your next blood donation at our Central Seattle Donor Center. You can sign up for All of Us at joinallofus.org slash go B-W-N-W. It's important that you use this link so that All of Us knows that you want to donate at Bloodworks. Because All of Us is a research program, you will also be asked to review an informed consent process. This process explains what is involved in the risks and benefits of joining. Joining is your choice. Thank you again for listening to Bloodworks 101. We'll see you next time. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode.